You're listening to Vernacular Podcast. All right, welcome back to Vernacular Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. And in this episode, we are going to be talking about something that lots of people are talking about lately, and that's Stranger Things, the yes. TV show, the hit TV show, I think we can pretty accurately call it. And joining us to have this conversation, fellow Stranger Things enthusiasts, and uh, at least one of whom has been a guest on the show before, uh, Laura Forsyth and Chandler Wright. Guys, welcome to Vernacular. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We're excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, we're excited to break down Stranger Things yes, a little bit. And yes. I think you guys are, are the experts because of your backgrounds in writing and movie directing, screenplay, editing. So we'll general def- film critic. Yeah, just general film experience. <laughs> so we'll defer to, to you on most of these questions, but we're looking forward to a freewheeling discussion of <laughs> all, right. all we have, things. We have our things. opinions. They just might not be valid. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So here's a softball. Let's talk about Stranger Things by kicking off with this question. What did you love most about the show? Or we'll call it a series. We'll use the British term. And what did you like least about it? So I think one of the things that I I really appreciated about, especially season one, um, is that it allowed the tension to build slowly over the course of several episodes. Um, It didn't at all. The show is not rushed to try to um, to try to, you know, wow you all the time. And so it was very willing to kind of let the tension um, build through small conversations, through small formal details like um, a smash cut, which is just a loud transition, or um, just a lot of foreshadowing, or um, you know, some maybe disconcordant or unsettling music played over a scene that doesn't necessarily um, strike you as scary. Um, so I really like that about the series that it is patient for the most part and. Yeah, it just allows the tension to build throughout the season rather than needing to always um, like provide a thrill or a scare uh, in every scene. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. We've talked about that before just, just between ourselves. And one of my complaints about season two, and maybe this is getting a little bit ahead in our discussion, but I thought season one did that exceptionally well and season two right. did not live up to that standard. So I, I felt like season one, you were... I think season one, the buildup and all of the uh, the scares, for lack of a better word, were implicit. Whereas mm-hmm. in season two, the the directors had to resort to much more explicit means and CGI to generate the same effects. So I thought season two, season one was much more effective as a psychological thriller, and season yes. two felt more like sort of contemporary horror light. Yeah. Well, I wonder if part of the problem is that, like, by the time we get to season two, we already know what the monster is. Like, you know, part of the tension in in season one is that we don't know what it is. We don't like a lot of the stuff in the upside down is just very unfamiliar. But by mm-hmm. the time we get to season two, it's like, OK, we know what the Demogorgon is. We know this stuff. So they you're they have to like you can't go backwards. You just have to build. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's maybe what what, uh, probably just one of the difficulties that they ran into in trying to figure out how to build tension in season two in order part of the thing that made season one work so well is that you always had a sense that this world is bigger than you currently understand right so at any point you know that you as an audience member are ignorant of some really crucial 
details regarding the world uh, that seems to be closing in upon these characters. And the characters are, of course, in a similar situation. They're trying to figure out what is going on. And so in season two, in order to maintain that same kind of effect, they had to expand the world in order to keep the world bigger than what we understand. And that, in my opinion, is where season two started to um, fray at the ends a little bit, is in trying to expand. So I, this might be jumping ahead too, because I want to talk about character development, but I thought casting was my favorite part about Stranger Things, because I just mm-hmm. thought okay, that whoever yeah. did the casting, they just chose great people to, to play each role. Um, Particularly Sean Astin to play the classic like, <laughs> oh sacrificial <my> lamb. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yes. He was very lamb-like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> typical, typical Samwise. Oh, but I mean, the kids... Um, the parents, both those I hated and those that I respected, <laughs> it was just, it was very well done. Yeah. Well, I mean, brilliant casting choice in Winona Ryder, yes. who, who of course was a big star in the eighties and, um, she's been less prominent until Stranger Things. And I just so... know her as she was Joe March yep. and now she's Mrs. <laughs> Byer. Right. So, totally. But, you know, she has that, you know, kind of intensity and that um, kind of wild look in her eye that uh, really, you know, I totally buy that in this character. She's a single mom and she's trying to do the best she can for her kids, but she's kind of always frazzled and always stretched farther than she can stand. Yeah. Yeah. And Hopper, who the guy who played, yeah. Hopper, I know he was in um, what the newsroom. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, that's what I've seen yes. him in. I'm sure he's been. In that's the stuff. only thing I've seen him in. But um, he just oh, he's such like a his face has he has expressions. He's not doesn't have an expressionless face, but I can't read him all the time. And so I just as the story yes. was unfolding in season one, I wasn't sure, like, is he on our side? You know, what is his role in this? Um, and then and then you are just wanting him to win all the time. And I just love the way that he He's not, he's fearless. <laughs> I've been yeah, more impressed with the. He is hard to read. Yeah, definitely. And I'm just on the the casting point too. To add to that, I've been impressed with the kids casting. Oh my goodness! Because I feel like casting an adult, they're a known entity. You've seen right. their body of work. You you know you right, understand right. how they work as an actor, and right. you can more easily project them into the role that you're envisioning as a casting director. But a, a kid is so much more unknown. And they're already. I mean, they're by virtue of their age, they're a newbie at acting. Right, so right. yeah, incredible. Yeah, Millie Bobby Brown. She's she's really yeah. She plays L. Yeah, I thought she was probably the best of of all the child actors. She's very good. I mean, I think it like especially for someone of that age, like it takes a lot of restraint. Um, like that character, like her character is just very restrained, and like she has to do a lot of acting just through her face and stuff like that. And I think that she's she's really she's a very good actress. Personally, my favorite performance, or one of my favorite performances from season two, uh, was Will Byers. Um, and the actor, I think it's pronounced Noah Schnapp. So in the scene where Will has just gotten back from the school with Joyce and they're in the kitchen, and this is after the monster has entered Will in the Upside Down, and we're just starting to learn that he feels sick and he feels terrible and he... It's almost like he's um, a sick kid staying home from school, but then also there's this very dark sense that um, you know this monster is 
inside of him and even controlling him to some extent. Right. And so it's walking an interesting line tonally where we're feeling for him as this young boy, like Joyce does, um, but we're also scared of him in a sense because we know that there's something wrong with him. There's this monster inside of him. I think that he did a really great job of conveying, especially through his face and his voice, uh, his own fear of what's happening inside of him. So that was, that was one of my favorite performances of season two. You know, I don't think I'd really thought about it that way until you you just now characterized it for me, but that's definitely how I was feeling as I was watching it. And as a parent, that scene resonated with me a lot, right? You want right. to take care of the kid and help them get better. And it really sort of tugs at your heartstrings because this is such a unique thing, right? Not every kid stays home mm-hmm. from school because they get possessed by this monster from the upside down. So <laughs> it's like, you know, I would have liked them, to see but... that, that note to their yeah, right, Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the king of all head colds. Um, <laughs> so yeah, on the one hand, you're like, oh my goodness, this terrible thing has happened to this child and I feel so badly for him. And then, you know, we'll snaps at his mom and says no he likes it cold referring to the bath and it's just like oh my goodness that's terrifying yeah (laughs) that's such a scary moment oh my goodness right yeah it's it's amplified even further when later we get to that scene where he serves as a spy for the for the monster and again we are we are conflicted on what we ought to think about will and as are you know the characters in the show itself and there's that scene where they're debating what to do with him. Should we um, put him to sleep? Should yes. we follow the orders? I think someone proposes like killing him or, or rather going into the upside down and just trying to, to keep burning right. the upside down material, which would kill him or at least harm him or he'd be in great pain. So there's that, that conflict and that, that I thought was the highlight of season two or that the strongest aspect of season two was that, that conflict about, what to do with Will and Will trying to figure out what he should do and him kind of battling this literal inner demon. I thought that was... Well, I did appreciate too how you saw that take place through Joyce, Winona Ryder's character, throughout the series as she eventually got to the point where she actually gave him the tranquilizer. And as I watched that, I was thinking again as a parent, wait, would I be able to do that? I really don't know. I mean, like I could know in my head, like, yeah, my child is possessed by this monster and is not really himself right now. And this is going to be best for his safety and for ours. And so, but still just, I mean, be like doing what she did. uh, I don't know. I don't know. Do you have any least favorite things about the show thus far or what you think are the show is the show's greatest weakness? I'm thinking for me in season two, the kind of the horror aspects of it, I just did not want the show to go in that direction. I know that we already said that, you know, we kind of had to build on what we already knew and from season one. And so maybe it made sense to just show all of the gore, but I don't know. That just... I try to separate it from my personal movie tastes, but it doesn't seem to add to the movie. It just seemed like, I don't know. It didn't seem to add to the movie to me, for me, the plot. Yeah, I mean, my complaint... Go ahead, Zach. Yeah, I was just going to echo that and say my complaint isn't so much about the gore per se, but it's just about the the extent to which the uh, directors in season two needed to rely on CGI to convey the story. And this is kind of what I was saying in the Mm -hmm. beginning too. I mean, I just really appreciated how... Season one, they're... Which is more understated. It's simple simple camera shots, simple lighting for the most part. 
you know, the the, uh, the filming in the Upside Down, this sort suspenseful. of other dimension is spectacular, I think. And yeah. But yeah, it was yeah. suspenseful. And all of the thrill, like, I found myself after each episode being like, wow, why, why did I find that so exhilarating? It didn't rely on any of the modern cinematic mm-hmm. techniques to, to generate the thrills. And then in season right. two, it was like, oh, this is just like watching, you know, any other scary movie these days. There's like computer generated mm-hmm. monsters running around and there's yeah, people. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. You said it well. Well, I, for the most part, would uh, definitely agree that one of the things, one of the things that I really liked about season one and I did not see continued very much in season two is that reliance. It, it was really built out or born out of um, their budget (laughs) Um, season two they had a much larger budget and so that does allow them to create more cgi monsters it allows them to just rely more on bigger set pieces rather than on uh, smaller encounters Um, and so i think most obviously you see that and just the the demi dogs and how many of them there are, and then also in that final big scene where L is, you know, fighting with, yeah. the, you know, closing the the bridge thing. You know, that, that's all computer stuff, and or at least not all of it, but probably a good deal of it. Um, and I do think that that in general goes along with what I was saying earlier that I think season two goes bigger in a lot of ways. It goes bigger in expanding the world it goes bigger in trying to show more explicitly uh on screen and it goes bigger in in bigger set pieces and more monsters and more moving parts and that i think is where season two it it just it's not as cohesive altogether on that same note i think that so it was it episode eight was the weird one um seven oh seven um yeah right you're right I, okay, so the Duffer brothers claim that it, it's really, really important to the season um, or, like, to the story. Um, and maybe they're just saying that because they knew it was going to be controversial and they're, like, you know, wanting... wanting... Well, uh, maybe it's really important to them. Right, <laughs> right. But I, it just felt very... Like, I thought that was the weak point in the, seri- in the season yeah. um, because it just it didn't seem to be cohesive right with the, like the the tone of the rest of the um of the show and i get like how it kind of it, there's this need to show like what like l motivation for continuing in this whole thing um and so for that you know in, in that sense it was it was helpful i suppose but it just felt like it, it just was very different and kind of disjointed um and i i thought that was the weak point yeah i think Part of what made episode seven a problem is that it's just we're building up throughout the whole season. As I mentioned earlier, part of what I thought made season one so great was that it had this very linear sense of progression and purpose where everything that happened um, gave you more information about the monster, about the world, about uh, the characters. And you always had this forward momentum and this growing tension. And so episode seven pulls us out of that tension and goes and explores something completely outside of Hawkins at a time when there's really interesting stuff happening right. in Hawkins. Well, it's funny, funny you bring that up because when we were watching it, I just, I, I don't like Elle's character. I think 
um, the actress does an amazing job conveying the character, but I just don't like the character. And so when I found out that that was a standalone episode all about her and showing her backstory, I was like, yeah, I'm just not interested. I'm going to get back to the story. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. didn't so even watch it. I like Wikipedia. <laughs> no, no, we skipped it. You have to, you should at I least mean, watch you, it. You should watch it's, it's. I mean, it's an interesting episode. Um, I wouldn't say it's. I'm sure like, it'll be important for like. Yeah, that's what we were wondering. Yeah, that's what we were wondering. Just fodder for the next season. I read right. a plot summary, so <laughs> I know everything. Yeah, it's weird. It is weird, and the characters yeah. are very different from the rest of the characters in the show, and that was another right. kind of jarring thing. So, so did you not like L season one or L season two or L in general? Because I felt like, and I want to talk about character development a little bit. I felt like she was a almost a different character in season two because in season one she was just so flat she didn't speak that much and then in season two she you know you just her personality starts to come out which it was a personality i wasn't really expecting and then that whole kind of she comes back emo <laughs> i wasn't <laughs> expecting that either yeah i mean i think it was yeah i don't know i guess i didn't like her in either season i think what's frustrating to me is or what what, what was frustrating to me in both seasons one is where she doesn't talk like she's the one who can help him solve all these problems and she doesn't speak and in season two the problem was she's the one who can help him solve these problems but she's not doing it she's like wandering around trying to discover her own past which i mean maybe if i were in that position i would also be wandering around trying to find out who i was so maybe i shouldn't pass off judgment here but i was just like l they are fighting for the universe over here and you're just like wandering around the woods trying to find your mom trying to find trying to your friend yeah and like yeah. randomly causing destruction right, right. yeah chowing down on those egos yeah right. so i i felt i felt the same frustration in season one but then i kind of had a change of heart when i thought of her more as an abused child mm-hmm. um and just as a child who had basically been abused her whole life and then was coming out of that and I mean, she, I just, I think that makes sense that maybe that would be the way that she would act, just very timid and hesitant to say anything and not sure who to trust. Yeah, that's what I thought as well, Sally, with season one. You guys are making me sound really heartless. No, no, I'm, as I was experiencing, <laughs> that's the way I felt. But since reading reviews and just hearing more about her, thinking of her no, you're right. as you're an right. abused child, it just, it just was, it, I mean, maybe if you think of her that way, I she's think, less annoying. <laughs> I think my distance from the urgency of the Stranger Things plotline has allowed me to be softer because just in the moment I was like, oh, there are problems to sure. be solved. Sure, <laughs> totally, Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we talked a little bit about parenting earlier, specifically Winona Ryder parenting Will, trying to yes. help him feel better with his cold. What do you guys think about the way parenting is portrayed in this show? I think I was, uh, or Sally and I were talking before before we started recording, and, and there have been a couple people who have written some things. Alexi Sargent, who's been on the podcast before, wrote something about this, and Sally listened to a podcast interview with him on another podcast, and he, he was talking about how parenting is, is portrayed and. Uh, I think mostly fatherhood he talked about, but how um, the show is in some ways just a a demonstration of fatherhood from multiple angles, different types of fatherhood from the Jim Hopper being a father-like figure to uh, L to Steve being a father-like figure to Dustin and the other kids to you know Mr. <laughs> Wheeler being an absent father figure 
to his son. So um, lots of things to digest there, I think. But what I don't know, just what do you guys think of that? Well, I I hadn't really even been I wasn't thinking about that while I was watching the show. I wasn't thinking about the angle of fatherhood. Um, and I do like that. And now that you say that, it does really strike a chord, I think, because it's very evident in the show. You know, you have um, uh, Joyce's, I guess, husbands or Lonnie. I don't know if they were yeah, married. Yeah. Or um, if they were just Definitely dating, their uh, absent father. together, living together, but their absent father. And that's of course played up a lot more in season one. He doesn't make, I think any appearance in season two. Um, but you do see more of Dustin's, uh, parents and, or just parent, right? Do we see his father? Are... Actually, you don't see his dad. Yeah. You don't see his dad at all. Um, and so very much an absent or at least kind of, bumbling incompetent mother who doesn't really uh have any awareness doesn't even know that the cat died (laughs) right right and kind of the same thing with um with the wheeler parents um they are both very much unaware of what's actually happening um with their kids and i did think that in season one that dynamic especially between mrs wheeler and uh nancy I thought that was really interesting because you have that line where Nancy says she doesn't want to become like her parents. She doesn't want to grow up and get married and have this boring cul-de-sac life when, when you're young, you know, you're crazy and you say, I'm never going to do that. And then you wind up being exactly like that. And And just get married to someone that wasn't even, I think she wanted more passion too. She just, her mother just, oh, she found this older man who had money. And so she got married to him. Right, right. So that added a lot of depth to that dynamic um, in season one that I thought was really interesting. And also when, you know, when Nancy uh, reveals to her mom that, you know, she slept with Steve, then that continues to build on that relationship. Um, And so I thought that was a really interesting dynamic that yeah. wasn't explored as much as season two. Yeah, the, well, the moms are definitely the ones who are Right, the moms in, in Stranger Things are in kids involved, lives. yeah. But, I mean, it's really only Joyce who does, like, a great job of it, you know? Yeah, I mean, credit to Joyce uh, for, as a single mom, uh, encountering all this craziness and really showing genuine affection and and feistiness uh, she's this, and feistiness yeah, and yeah she's the mama bear in season song. two she's yeah. just taken down mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole lab the whole hawkins establishment yeah. right i do personally find uh mr wheeler to be hilarious yes agree um <laughs> in season two especially i mean he was a, he was kind of funny in season one but i didn't really pick up on it and i think Same. in season two they almost made him more of a caricature yes absolutely um, i think they made I think they made um, Mrs. Wheeler a lot more of a caricature as well, especially especially at the the end where there's that scene where uh, she's in the bathtub reading this book with um, and on the cover of this grocery store romance novel that she's reading is a man that looks exactly like Billy. I didn't notice that. Oh yeah, like it's it's a spitting image of him. And then uh, the doorbell rings and she like Madame Bovary kind of yeah, total Madame Bovary thing where she's you know, reading these romance novels and then sees this man that 
seems to check off all the boxes. And then that's where um, he comes to the door and she's just, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was, oh, oh that was just ridiculous. Oh, I, I, know. I, I thought that was fawning over a teenager. <laughs> I know it's so disturbing. I mean, yes, it was disturbing. Their family but it was just also really disturbs funny. me so much. <laughs> yeah, but, and for but, me, it's hard to like laugh at Mr. Wheeler because it's just very sad, like to see these, to see their family in the state that it is, and their home is not right. a place where they can be safe or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why they. I mean, they they all go to Joyce's house, right? I mean, that's the yeah. that's yeah. the place to be safe, or to their their bus, their van, or whatever that was. Yeah. Yeah. Also, their whole friendship is more familial than their relationship with their parents. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely seems like it. But I do think that in season two, because the Mr. and Mrs. Wheeler are a little more caricatured, I think that creates a little bit more of a distance between us and them, uh, which I think makes them a little bit funnier. Yeah. Um, Because even though, yes, it's kind of unsettling that they're such bad parents um, the fact that they're so ridiculously bad uh makes it makes it funny mm-hmm. so my three favorite father figures in i think really season two because you don't really see it as much in season one hopper obviously i mean the way he yeah. takes l under his wing to, you know he to he doesn't do it perfectly but his attempts and his heart for her is really endearing and um also, Bob trying yes. to be a stepfather of sorts. Bob to, yeah. Bob. And he also, you know, doesn't do it perfectly and doesn't really get much of a chance. But and then Steve, he really comes yeah. out Steve's as being a, a father figure. Oh, no, I think I mean, <laughs> sure, he's both, but he's a strong parent. Right. No, it's just it's just funny. Right. There, there have been all these like memes going around the internet with like like Steve the babysitter, yep. Steve <laughs> sure. Steve the mom. Yep. Like there was like how this one meme where it's like, oh, all all the great moms <laughs> we see is Stranger Things, and then Steve was listed as one of them. Well, I saw one where it's like Steve the Babysitters Club or something like that. Like yeah. him with his bat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Steve's the best. He is. I, I'm yeah. a huge Steve. Yeah, he became I, I was, my favorite character over the course of season two. Even though he was horrible in season one, I still was kind of rooting for him. And I was just very happy. That's one thing I really loved was in season two was just like Steve's comeback. Yeah. And all the FaceTime you see with him. Yeah. And he just he grows a lot um, as a character, as does his hair. Well, let me use that as a jumping off point to ask you guys about predictions or theories for the future of Stranger Things. And I think it's appropriate to lead off with maybe the most obvious uh, question regarding Steve. Will he and Nancy end up together? (laughs) Oh, boy. I kind of think eventually, probably. I I almost think that Nancy or that, yeah, that Nancy, no, that Steve deserves, no, that Nancy deserves Steve at this point. Yeah, well, I'm kind of on the same in the same boat. There. So, what about what about this as a proposal? Season one, Steve is kind of the bad guy in that relationship, where uh, he is the one who is seducing her and he's coercing her into doing things that she's not initially comfortable with, um, and surrounding her with people that she doesn't really like. Um, but then in season two, we do have that Steve. Harrington redemption arc so possible 
that season three could be Nancy oh. Redemption. Okay, yeah, because she definitely went down in my right. list of oh, yeah, likable sure. characters in season two. I was just like, oh, just go away. You're annoying me. Because Right. I mean, yeah. season one, she's we kind of see her as a victim, um, and that usually makes us sympathetic uh, towards that person. And so now she's very much kind of the one who's done the wrong Um and now, uh, not Will. What, what's the what's Jonathan. The, Jonathan? Now Jonathan is the the bad guy. So I don't know what's going to happen. But I mean, if you think about the kind of trajectory of other shows, um, it's fairly common to set up in the first season or so some kind of relationship that um, kind of gets developed and gets turned upside down and winds up back right again at the end. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a similar thing here. Honestly, I think that Jonathan and Nancy are going to stick together. And Steve, you think so? Steve is just going to be fine by himself. Actually, maybe. He definitely yeah. seems Steve. like he's fine by himself. Yeah. <laughs> he does. <clears throat> yeah. Maybe Barb will come back. <laughs> <laughs> Justice for Barb. Return, return from the dead. And <laughs> Steve and Barb will get together. <laughs> Um, so what about, uh, so we talked about that L episode in season two. Do you think that is setting us up for things that are going to happen in future seasons? Are we going to have other people in the similar situation as L? I mean, I, I really don't know. I mean, I kind of think that the girl, what is it? Seven, eight, eight. Okay. Um, eight. We don't, I think we don't know. No, we do know her name. I just, I'm, I'm going to call her eight. The, the woman, the young woman who shows up in, in episode seven, who is um, kind of like Elle's uh, adopted sister or sister from um, right. mutual abuse. Yes. And she's, she's the one at the very beginning of the show uh, who you see her demonstrating her, right. her yeah. abilities. Yeah. yeah. I kind of think that she's going to be a larger figure in the next season. Oh, interesting. Because um, I, I think that it seems to me that they wouldn't have gone to all that trouble to right. introduce that character um, if they didn't plan to use her later on. Because clearly a lot of thought went into her character. And she's distinct. She's perhaps the most distinct character, um, or at least the most different character from anyone else in the show. So maybe Elle's mom? She kind of has her own storyline going here, too. I wonder if she's going to come back. Actually, okay. Potentially, because Elle definitely seems to want to save her mom somehow. So do you guys think, speaking of Elle's mom, that Elle's mom is stuck in the Upside Down? Will that be a part of season three? So is there to still go an Upside get... Down? Yeah, there's still an Upside okay, Down. Okay, so we all Elle did end. at the end was just... Yeah, at the end. She, just, yes. she, she closed the portal. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. She didn't destroy the Upside Down. No, okay, that exists. makes sense. Because I was yeah. wondering what was going to happen yeah. in season three, but I figured I misunderstood it. So is Elle's mom in the Upside Down? Here, That's so, a very good question. So we know that people go basically catatonic when they're in the Upside Down, right? Like when Elle is, yes. Elle is um, teleporting to the Upside Down, she yeah. goes kind of catatonic. And we also know that when you're in the upside down, like when Will was in season one, you can control the lights. You have you can like control some electricity, mm-hmm. and that's how mm-hmm. Elle's mom talked to her right. when Elle was there to see her mom. Oh, so, so you, is there going to be like, a rescue mission to the upside down? Her oh. mind is in the upside down, but her body is not. Correct. 
Yeah. Because because in you know season one, of course, Will is both that's body true. and right, mind. That's true. Right. And when Elle goes into the upside down, she's she she's her. not actually going into the upside down. She's going into this kind of middle way, this kind of telepathy space or something like that. Okay, so maybe Elle's mom is stuck in that. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting idea. I like that. I, I think that would be a really, really cool. And I'd, I'd really like actually seeing that happen. I, I, I I'd, I'm would really like to claim credit for that idea. That. I saw it on the internet, though. So. <laughs> oh, okay. What were you saying, Laura? Well, I, I would really like to know more about Elle's mom. Um, so that would be, I would, I, I hope that they develop that more. I'm all about knowing that as well, as long as we're not learning that while there's a monster trying to eat the world. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, okay. Let's talk briefly. Max and what was the yeah. brother's name again? Billy. 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 What Billy. are they like? I, I don't know. I wasn't really compelled by them. Um, I know that they served a purpose in the show. I actually like are Max they going quite a bit. To, yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, she, when she joined the team. I guess they're probably going to continue on. I just wonder if, I don't know. Billy scares me, man. Well, okay, so first of Billy's all... is going to be the new lover of Mrs. Wheeler, though. <laughs> oh, my God. I, oh, just I to back up. I do actually find Billy to be a really fascinating character. Okay. Um, and I didn't like him for the first majority of the season. I mean, I don't like him as a person, but I didn't like him that much as a character at the very beginning. Um, he was a disruptive force, and he added a lot of drama and tension and... and Terror. Um, yeah, terror, but also some um, some kind of uh, mystery mm-hmm. about the family. And for a while, I I was wondering if Billy and Max were the children of someone who worked in Hawkins Lab yes. or somehow associated yeah. with that. Because you know they like maybe maybe the the new kind of head lab guy that they put in. Um, can't remember his name. I thought, well, they came from California. So anyway, I thought that was maybe going on, but. I really um, reacted a lot to the scene where their parents come back and when um, the dad uh, really confronts Billy when he's about to leave for the date. And then the dad comes in and says, where's Max? And he's like, well, I don't know. I I don't I don't care. You got why did you guys leave her for so long? And then the dad just bursts out in this really uh, terrifying display of physical and verbal abuse. yeah, you just really see um, where you see where all yes. right. like we, confrontational we, Exactly. Like we suddenly Billy suddenly makes so much sense. Yeah, and this whole time point. I'd been thinking Billy is almost this unbelievably uh, malevolent character. But then after seeing how his dad treats him, it made me really feel for this guy mm-hmm. and really uh, be totally on board actually with all the decisions uh, about his character prior to that point. And he just he that was one of the biggest and most satisfying surprises of the season really was discovering where that, um, where his hatred came from. And the scene itself was, was, I thought brilliantly shot. It was shot mostly on, um, very wide lenses, which exaggerated, uh, the father's face and made him look very big and, and menacing and up close to the camera, probably only a few inches away from the camera lens. And that was uh, just a really powerful scene. Another great example of poor parenting on both their parts. Yes. Right. right. Yeah. So any other predict- predictions for future seasons? 
Well, I mean, one thing is absolutely certain. They will be uh, selecting plot points or kind of molding plot points around other uh, 80s films. Because, <laughs> 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 um, I mean, you know, the, the development season, season two, we saw a lot of um, The Exorcist and a lot Ghostbusters. of Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of uh, Aliens. So actually, it's really interesting to think about season one in terms of Alien, the original Ridley Scott film, and then Aliens, the James Cameron sequel, um, because Alien has one singular alien. It's very, very confined. The story mm. follows, a pre- follows a pretty linear path as this alien enters the ship and starts killing them off slowly, and uh, you know they're trying to figure out how to kill it, um, which has obvious echoes in season one. And then season two... You basically take that alien and multiply it by a lot and then give it this kind of dungeon where in this den where they all come from. And you see that in season two. Wow, that's so interesting. So is there aliens three then that we can pull from so we know what's happening in season two? There is. I haven't haven't seen that one. Um, (laughs) But yeah, there's a third film um, and then a a few spinoffs. Oh, interesting. Wow. Well, I have heard that we have to wait until 20, what, 19 for? Yeah, I think it's 20. Oh, yeah. so oh for we'll season to, three? I yes, didn't know isn't that. Isn't that terrible? Oh, yeah. that is news to me. Yeah. Have they even started filming? I don't know. I wow. doubt it. Uh, no, actually. I know that the Duffers are currently just in brainstorming of season three. So um, they're just making it up as they go. <laughs> just yeah. doing it live. All right. <laughs> well, I mean, when I say brainstorming, I don't necessarily mean that they haven't thought through what season three will be sure. like. I just mean that they haven't yeah. actually filled out the details. It's like, well, guys, where do we script. go from here? All right. Should we make Elle's mom stuck in the upside down? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll just have to submit all of our ideas. But yeah, they probably just get all their inspiration from Reddit anyway. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Just fan theories on Reddit. <laughs> well, we'll have to have you guys back in 2019 to debrief (laughs) thanks for getting together with us tonight and sharing all of your thoughts and predictions and criticisms it's been great yeah Yeah, Yeah. thanks so much it's been fun thanks for listening to another episode of vernacular podcast if you would like to reach out to us and let us know what you thought of this episode or any of our episodes you can go to vernacularpodcast.com you can email us at zach and sally at vernacularpodcast.com and you can you can find us on a number of other ways uh we'll start with instagram at vernacular pod also twitter at vernacular pod or facebook at facebook.com slash vernacular podcast you can support us on patreon Yes, that's going to be patreon.com slash vernacular, slightly different, so mind mind that one. <laughs> and you can help other listeners find us on iTunes, which is now Apple Podcasts. That's by right. giving us a five-star rating and review if you want to. Yes, and we'll be forever in your debt if you do. Yes, because for some reason, Apple Podcasts allows people to be seen more on Apple Podcasts if you have more reviews. That's right. And you may not know this, but Vernacular is actually a podcast network. And we have another show called Third String that's hosted by yours truly and a couple other people. And if you're interested in sports at all, this is for you. So check out Third String. That's 3RD String. Also in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. I think that's it, right? Yeah. Okay. For Vernacular Podcast, I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Have a great week. Better than ever.